Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, I just uh, ask that this morning you would open our hearts to you the way you once opened Peter's heart to Jesus. To receive from you the gift of grace and a renewed call. In your name, amen. Now, this may sound strange. I don't miss being a teenager. But I do miss the days when my kids were teenagers. See, when our kids were teenagers, their friends spent Friday and Saturdays at our house. Sometimes in the pool, sometimes in, in, a lot of times in the family room, joking around, kidding, watching TV, deciding what they were going to do. In fact, sometimes there were so many kids in our family room that it was hard to find a place to sit. Now that I don't miss. Because see, if, if you got a place, like if I got my recliner, you didn't give it up. Didn't matter how hungry you were. Didn't matter how badly you needed to do whatever you needed to do. You didn't move. Because if you moved, you lost your spot. And they didn't care that it was my recliner. Thought about that as I, as I thought about the question today. Is there a place for me? That's something we worry about in life. We, worry, we start worrying about it when we're kids and they're choosing up sides for a team. What if nobody picks me? Or the same thing, what if they picked me last, which means no one really wanted me, right? Or you get into high school. What if I ask her out and she says, guys, the dreaded word what? No. Or you go to college, what if... And I would get this as a campus pastor all the time. What if there's no one for me? What if there's no one who wants to spend their life with me? Or the other one, Pastor, I'm gonna, I don't know if I chose the right major. What if I go through four years of school and I can't get a job? And then there are the times when you are out of college and you're out working. What if I lose my job? What if I can't find a new job? What if in this merger there isn't a place for me in the new company? When the kids live home, what if he, what if she, the spouse, doesn't still love me now that it's just me? Or retirement, who am I 
without this job. We worry about those things because we live in a world that judges you and me by how successful we are. The judges by how much you make. How popular you are, how good looking you are, how athletic you are, how young you look, how, and you could go on and on. I mean, think about, think about what happens today. People can have a career, and we see this happening in the, the people in public all the time in our cancel culture, and they make one false step and you're out the door, you're canceled. No room for mistakes. It's kind of the paradox of the world in which we live, that we live in an imperfect world that demands perfection. But it's a perfection based on comparison. Not are you talented, but are you more talented than? Not are you successful, but are you more successful? Not are you good looking, but are you better looking Not are you making good money, but are you making more money? And it's this constant comparison. And the problem with that is it breeds a sense of insecurity in us that makes us wonder if we have a place because there's always somebody better looking, more talented, making more money, living in a bigger house, whatever you want the comparison to be. And so it drives us to do things, sometimes to stab in the back, sometimes to talk about people, sometimes to lie. Have you ever blamed someone so that you wouldn't get the blame? Have you ever kept something hidden because you were afraid if people knew they wouldn't like you? Have you ever kept, been kept from doing something because you were afraid you would fail at it? I never asked a girl out to prom, ever, because I was afraid of the answer, no. I know a young man, talented athlete, Never tried out for the team because he was afraid there wouldn't be a place for him. You know what's behind all these fears? The question, does God have a place for me? Because I, now, this is, this is the other hard part because he's different than the world. Not only does he demand perfection, he is Perfect. Be holy, he says, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. He warns us, whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking it all. From the beginning, we're doomed. Why would God want you or me? And I I would say in 36, 37 years of being a pastor, That's the most common question I get. I remember doing a vacancy. Elder came up to me. My son ended up in jail. I guess I should quit. I get it all the time. Why would God want me as a Sunday school teacher? How could God possibly love someone like me? Well, that's why 
this little story, it's, it's almost like it's tacked on to the end of the Gospel of John, because you know, at the end of chapter 20, he tells us, these things are written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and then by believing you might have life in his name, would have been a good place to end the Gospel. And yet John goes on, and he adds this 21st chapter, and in this chapter, we come to an encounter between Jesus and Peter. Now, you, you all know the story of Peter. When Jesus came in and called him, Peter was a fisherman. Which, being a fisherman is a good thing, but I, I don't know if you understand what it means. It means he wasn't a very smart guy. Because the rabbis, when he was probably 13 or 14 years old, made a choice. And they picked the pick of the litter, the, the smart young men, and they continued their education. And so the fact that Peter is a fisherman means he wasn't picked. Well, then Jesus goes out in the boat with him one day. And they catch this huge catch of fish. And Peter says, I, I'm not even worthy to have you in the boat. And Jesus says to him, come, follow me. He says, Peter... I have a place for you. I will make you to become fishers of men. It changed Peter's life. The next three years were wonderful. Peter was not just one of the disciples. He was probably the oldest, for sure the leader of the disciples. Things were going great until they got to Jerusalem, right? And Jesus got arrested and he was put on trial. And this was the big moment for Peter, the moment he had promised he wouldn't fail. And he did. Jesus is in there on trial for his life. And Peter denies that he even knows Jesus. Denies not just once, not just twice, but three times that he knows Jesus. Can you imagine the guilt? that Peter felt. And I don't think Jesus rising from the dead made him feel any better, at least not right away. I think he was excited, but he also thought, well, it's a sure thing that I'm not the leader anymore. I'm not going to be. What would Jesus want with a leader you can't count on when things get tough? I'm sure all those things are going through Peter's mind. Is there a place for me? And then one day, back in Galilee, when they're out fishing and they come back in and they're, they're having breakfast together, Jesus takes Peter aside. And it's obvious why. But Jesus asks him three times, Do you love me? <laughs> Peter, three times, Lord, you know that I love you. And three times, what does Jesus say? He says, feed my lambs, take care of my sheep, feed my sheep. And then finally, Jesus speaks to him the same words he'd spoken three years earlier. Follow me. Peter, I know your failures, and I love you anyway, 
And I have a place for you in my family, in my work, in my heart. That's the message, the answer from the empty tomb today. God has a place for sinners. That's why Jesus went to the cross. That's why He rose again. He has a place for those who don't deserve it. He took our place in death so that we might have His place in God's family. Now, if, if the example of Peter isn't enough, just, I just want you to think of a, a man who at the first we, we knew him as Saul. Saul was a guy who thought he knew what his place was. His place was to get rid of these Christians. And so Saul led the first group, this mob, that took the first martyr, Stephen, and put him to death. And then Saul got himself some letters. He knew his purpose. He was off to Damascus to round up more Christians and throw them in jail. And then Jesus met him. Right? A light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground, heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul answered, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now, the story didn't end there. Saul, whom we know as Paul, went into Damascus blind, and he had to be wondering. It, it, he suddenly realized that he hadn't been serving God, he'd been fighting God, and what would God want with someone like him? And I love this. God goes in the Spirit to one of the people I'm sure Paul was about to arrest, a young man by the name of Ananias, and said, I want you to go talk to this guy named Paul. He's praying, and, and, uh, and Ananias has got to be thinking, Lord, you, you've got to be kidding. And I love the response. God says to him, go! This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. In other words, go tell Paul I love him too. And I have a place for him. Because we're going to do the exam today, I've been thinking about confirmation. I remember in Flower Mound, I went in sat down in the confirmation class one day and the young man that was leading it in the middle of the class said, Pastor Braun, tell, tell, tell the 8th grader, 7th and 8th graders why you're, a, why you're a Christian. And I said, well, because Jesus died for me. And he said, well, what does that mean for you? It, it means that he, in spite of everything I've done, has a place for me in his heart. That's the message today. God knows everything you've done. He loves you anyway. And he has a place for you. Now, you might be wondering, well, how could God possibly use someone 
like me? What could he possibly do through me? Well, I want you to listen to Paul and what he tells us. In his letter to Timothy, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But for that reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who believe on him and receive eternal life. You know, as I was getting ready this morning, I thought, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous didn't come up with it. Jesus did. You know, Alcoholics Anonymous, when you go for help, you, you get a sponsor. It's another alcoholic, a recovering alcoholic who helps you with your recovery. That's what this is. The reason, who better to talk to somebody who finds out they've been going the wrong way than someone like Paul who found out he was going the wrong way? Who better to talk to people who feel like they've betrayed Jesus than Peter who had betrayed Jesus? to talk to him about God's grace and forgiveness. Who better than to talk to your kid or your grandkid who is wondering, could God have a, something for them? Or to your friend or neighbor who's, who's marriage is falling apart, or to somebody you know that's, that's made a big mistake in your life, or somebody who's going into surgery, or somebody who's, who's struggling with family issues, then you and me who have had all those things happen to us. Who better to tell people there's a place for them in God's family than we, who by God's grace have learned there's a place for us in God's family. To be like Paul and to say to people whom we know, if God could love me, if God could forgive me, if God could have a place for me, then my friends, you can know he has a place for you. Amen? Amen? Amen. Now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus unto life that is everlasting. Amen.